Hey, a lot of you have been messaging us telling us, hey, we want to support you guys. And now there is an opportunity for you to do that. For as little as a dollar a month, you can help support Election College over on our Patreon account. Yeah, if you want to support something you like, uh, hopefully love, we would we would really like that, uh, you can do that. It really helps us out. Every person, even if you're only doing a dollar a month, is a huge help to us. So uh, head on over to Patreon. There's a link right here in the show notes, and you'll be able to see our little video of us saying weird things and get going. Election College, episode 162, The Life of John Jay, part two. Let's throw a political party. Face it, the political scene sucks, but did it always? It's time for election college, and class is in session. Now, your hosts, Jason Goff and Ben Smith. Hey, Ben, in the last episode, well, let's just put it this way. I'm prefacing the preface by saying you need to go back and listen to the episode 161 because you're going to just be lost and not know what to do. So go back, listen to Tuesday's episode about the first part of John Jay's life. So we'll pick it up with the American Revolution. We know John Jay as being a reasonable guy, and he really seeks to reconcile with the British. Now, this, of course, is before... 1776. And it's still cool to want to try to get along. And he writes, or at least he helps write the Olive Branch Petition, which says, hey, British government, let's get along. And when the British were like, "Um, I don't think so. I think you're going to do what we tell you to do. He says, no, I'm, I'm a patriot. You burned Norfolk. And I'm done with you guys. So he throws his support behind the revolution and the declaration of independence. And he goes from being a moderate to a radical. Yeah, just like that. In 1774, after the Continental Congress wraps up, uh, John Jay goes back to New York and he serves on New York City's Committee of 60. And, you know, he tries to enforce some of the things that the First Continental Congress came up with and was elected to the Provincial Congress in New York and drafted the Constitution of New York. And, well, you know, he did a couple things. And because he was doing so many things while he was in New York, he actually wasn't able to vote on or sign the Declaration of Independence, which kind of stinks because, you know, he had a lot to do and say about it. Yeah, so New York's Provincial Congress elects Jay as the Chief Justice of the New York Supreme Court, and he serves there for two years, beginning in 1777. The Continental Congress says, hey, John Jay, would you like to be president? (laughs) And, (laughs) you know, in in the past, John Jay, as we've talked about, John Jay has been seeking reconciliation and, and peace and everything with Britain. And... He goes from doing that to saying, let's get out of there real fast. And he serves uh, as the president of the Continental Congress. We talked about that 
way back when, uh, from December 1778 to September of 1779. So just under a year. And yeah, I mean, in some sense, the position has no power at all. And in another sense, it has a lot of power because you're very influential. It's a ceremonial thing, uh, you know, helping to lead the group in a, in a certain direction and the majority of people being in the same page. So, uh, you know, it has a lot of power, but actually it has no power. But at the same time, if you think about it, it has a lot of power. So being president of the Continental Congress, that gets you places, right? I mean, you're pretty much the most influential person in the world at that point. <laughs> and, uh, you can go anywhere you want. Well, maybe not. But it does enable you to get appointed to really cool positions in the future. And in September of 1779, Jay was appointed as minister to Spain. So he's going to Spain. And he's like, I am going to just overwhelm these people with my amazingness and convince the Spanish to give us money, the Americans, us being Americans, start signing treaties so we can have some commerce going on. And the Spanish, of course, are going to recognize the Americans. Like, they're going to recognize that America is independent from Great Britain. Well, Spanish royalty is like, ah, uh, yeah, come come on over, but you're not the minister of the United States because we're not going to recognize you as an independent country. That could spark a revolution here in Spain. So we don't want you to do that. But hey, we'll loan you $170,000. How's that sound? And Jay's like, cool. And so by May of 1782... He has the money, he leaves Spain, and he is in Paris. Well, what's going on in Paris in 1782? Negotiations to end the American Revolutionary War. So he meets up with Ben Franklin, and he really wants to sit at Franklin's feet and learn from him, learn how to be a diplomat. And so the U.S. agrees to negotiate with Britain, and then with France, and then... The Earl of Shelbourne says, hey, Americans, how about independence? And Jay's like, no, 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 I don't think so, because it didn't recognize American independence during the negotiations. So that might sound like a semantic that, <laughs> oh, from this point forward or from a point in the past forward, but this was pretty important. So Jay is holding the line that, no, we have been independent all the time. And he wins. <laughs> um, there are some disputes about the border. There's some disputes about, well, the whole issue of British soldiers still being in forts and so on in North America. But what we have is the Treaty of Paris. And it's pretty awesome because now everybody recognizes the United States of America. Right. And so remember that the treaty does grant the United States independence, but there's a lot of issues that don't get resolved. And then in like, oh, 1812-ish, uh, a lot of those things come back up and, and create another war. So, oops, maybe maybe should have dotted the I's and crossed the T's a little better, but uh, it certainly was a huge movement in the right direction. Yeah, I'm blaming the bad internet. I think if they would have had really good internet and good tracking devices... Uh-huh. That probably wouldn't have been an issue. That's true. GPS wasn't quite what it is now. 
Yeah. Yeah. So after the Revolutionary War, John Jay is the Secretary of Foreign Affairs from 1784 to 1789. And Congress passes this law that gives uh, a bunch of different responsibilities to a new department. And, you know, it's a lot of the responsibilities that the Foreign Affairs Secretary had before and says, this is going to be the Department of State now. And so Jay's like, well, I guess I'll just be the Secretary of State for a while. And, uh, you know, he's while they're while they're doing this, he's trying to figure out now that we're done with this revolution and now that these wars are over and uh, what what is our foreign policy? You know, how how do we approach these big powers, this European group of powers that doesn't really know who we are? We don't even really know who we are. What are we doing? And, you know, he wants to establish an American currency. Got to have credit to be able to do that. Uh, Got to have loans to have credit. And got to pay back our credit that we've already taken out. So he's really tasked with a ton of different stuff that paves the way for our American economy and, and the way that America became a powerhouse later on. Yeah, so... The big thing with this whole powerhouse of America is that it is a nation. It's not just a conglomeration of states. It is a strong central government. Well, that doesn't bode too well under the Articles of Confederation because that was pretty much a a loose set of concepts rather than a strong constitutional government. So... What ends up happening is Jay joins forces with Alexander Hamilton and James Madison in putting together a group of papers called the Federalist Papers. Now, we've talked about that before. We've talked about how Hamilton wrote like a million of them, and Jay wrote like two, and he got sick. I think he wrote five. (laughs) But anyway, and and Madison wrote uh, a good number as well. But what ends up happening under the Federalist Papers is that the idea comes about that, oh, we need to do something. We need to do it quick. We need to have a convention. And that convention, of course, being the Constitutional Convention. So Jay himself did not go to the Constitutional Convention, but he was there in spirit because Hamilton and Madison were all about saying we need to have a more powerful centralized government that's balanced, that has checks and balances where states do have a say, but we need to do something like that. So when it comes time for the Constitution to be ratified, you have an advocate in New York in John Jay. It's really interesting, Jason, because in those Federalist Papers, uh, John Jay writes the second, the third, the fourth, and the fifth, and the 64th articles <laughs> of the Federalist Papers. And all of those, except for the last one, talk about the potential and positive, and or not positive, the definite uh, dangers from foreign force and influence. So John Jay, after being a supporter of the crown, essentially, and saying, yeah, we definitely want this influence in our country, goes the pretty opposite way and writes a bunch of papers about how we don't want the crown involved in our affairs or anyone's, and we need to make sure to stay out of everybody else's business. And 
the uh, the last one, the sixty fourth one, actually does touch on it, and you know talks about how how to make treaties and everything. So it's still all of his papers are concerns and ways to handle how are we going to approach foreign governments and how are we going to manage essentially manage our country when it comes to things outside of our country. So you can see it's a pretty passionate issue for him. It's funny how the forefathers really did. It was as if they could see out into the future a bit on so many different issues. And I wonder how many legal minds today would be able to forecast like they did. Um, yeah. Especially, especially thinking that this type of government that we have didn't exist to this point. This is all an experiment, mm-hmm. and look, look, we're still around. It's still happening, and uh, we still don't know what we're doing in a lot of instances. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty much true. So a lot of us know John Jay as the guy who was the first Supreme Court justice. But um, how did he get that way? Well, in September of 1789, George Washington is like, hey, John Jay, I like you a lot. Uh, How about becoming the Secretary of State? Why not? And John Jay says, no, I don't think so. And uh, Washington's like, well, what, what do you think if I made the title a little bit different and called it Chief Justice of the United States? And uh, Jay's like, cool, that sounds good. Yeah, uh, the Secretary of State position, and I mentioned before that he transitioned from the Secretary of Foreign Affairs into being the Secretary of State. The position was a little different than what we would know it as now. And so, I mean, he didn't technically transition into being Secretary of State, just kind of continued through the motions after the Secretary of Foreign Affairs until he became the Chief Justice of the United States. How'd you like to be able to write your own job title? I know, <laughs> seriously. Say, yeah, this is what I am now. I'm something cool like, I don't know, the Chief Justice. It's funny with those nominations, you know, in the first cabinet, it's like, oh, of course you're unanimously accepted by the by the <laughs> Senate. You probably didn't have the deliberations like you do today. Because you don't have the internet back then. So Right, yeah. So he gets unanimously confirmed, and he gets... Uh, you know, put into the position the same day he gets uh, confirmed and uh, he swears in his oath of office in October of 1789 and Washington you know, nominates a bunch of different associate judges. And there you have it. You have the uh, chief justice and his associate judges. So the court took on a little bit of a different mode than it does now. Uh, it only heard... Uh, four cases during John Jay's whole entire position of being the chief justice. And, uh, you know, really he he makes it a statement that the court's really just supposed to be here to rule on constitutionality of different cases. And, um, you know, even Alexander Hamilton, who was one of John Jay's friends, and they worked together many times, says, hey, uh, Johnny, how about you give me the endorsement? Of, of some legislation that I wrote, you know, everybody respects you, they respect me, kind of, but not as much, and, you know, that the, the government should assume the state's debts, and John Jay says, nope, that's not what we do, sorry, I think it's, you know, it's, it, maybe it's a good idea, maybe it's not a good idea, but either way, it doesn't matter, because that's not what we do here. Yeah, so, unlike the court today, has been said, you know, 
they're out there chilling <laughs> at the old. Now this is in Philly, right? They're hanging out at the old city hall building and can't imagine that they're too busy. If you only heard that many cases, they're th- figuring out how to do the procedures. Jay did spend a lot of his spare time helping out the Washington administration. So that would just be scandalous today for a, a Supreme Court justice to be involved really in anything with the executive branch or the legislative branch of government. But he pretty much did. So at this point in our history, it was totally acceptable to run for office while you're sitting on the Supreme Court because we're making up all these rules along the way. (laughs) And so there he is, Chief Justice John Jay, there in Philly. And he decides that he wants to run for governor of New York. And he does so in 1792. And he runs against George Clinton. And Ben, we we really should do an episode on George Clinton. I mean, I think we called him the Funkmeister in one of our first episodes. (laughs) Then we had to do a correction. And then I got him confused with Bismarcky. And um, who else was it? Oh, there was another George Clinton, wasn't there? There was. There's been a couple, yeah. Oh, my Uh goodness. Anyway, very controversial election, which saw Jay get the most of the votes, but his votes, a lot of them were thrown out because several counties' um, ballots were disqualified, and George Clinton ended up taking that election. So we talked a little bit about a bunch of the issues with the uh, Treaty of Paris, and there's a lot of other issues as well. And so in 1794, Britain's like, hey, listen, we know you're your own country now, but we're going to come attack you. And (laughs) (laughs) things are getting really, really close to having a war. And, you know, the Brits are dominating the U.S. market with their exports. The American exports are being blocked by the Brits. Britain is still occupying some of the areas that they agreed to surrender, including a bunch of different forts in the north. Uh, They're impressing American sailors. I mean, come on, you guys know all this stuff right now, right? You know why these tensions were were going on. And, you know, James Madison's like, how about we have a trade war where we basically um, hurt them where it hurts the most in the pocketbook. And we know that, hey, they just had a big war with France. That's going to really hurt them bad. So... Washington says, no, I don't think so. Not a good idea. Let's send uh, my buddy John Jay over to Great Britain to negotiate a new treaty. And during this time, John Jay is still Chief Justice. Remember, he didn't have a whole lot to do. There's only four cases during his tenure. I'm just kidding. I'm sure he probably had a ton to do, but anyway. He looked busy. And, yeah, he was busy. And uh, John Jay goes to England with these... Uh, Uh, instructions about negotiating that were written by Alexander Hamilton under the direction of George Washington. And Hamilton is, you know, he's trying to maintain good relations and everything and um, trying to make Britain happy with us. Uh, But he tells them that the United States is not going to join other governments to uh, defend their neutral status. And this doesn't sit well with the, the British, and John Jay loses a lot of his leverage. However, the treaty does get rid of a bunch of the, the posts and um, grants the United States the status of most favored nation, and it allows the, uh, the U.S. to 
gives them access to some different trade materials that they didn't have access to before. Yeah, so what the treaty did not do is resolve American grievances about the shipping rights and impressment, which all of us know really comes back to bite all of us in the decades to come. And uh, the Democratic Republicans are like, this is horrible. And uh, Chief Justice Jay is like, it is what it is. So the failure to get compensation for slaves taken by the British during the revolution uh, really caused some bitter opposition in the South. And Jefferson and Madison, who uh, really were fearful about doing too much with the British, really didn't like the Jay Treaty. And uh, our friend George Washington, he's like, you know what, guys? I'm standing behind my man, and we are going to make sure that public opinion goes our way. So the Senate ratifies the treaty, 20 to 10. Uh, That is like just by the skin of of our teeth that they pass the approval for the Jay Treaty. And this really causes Democratic Republicans to stand up and say, hey, Jay's a traitor, and we are going to burn effigies of him all over the country, really give cause to why there should be more than one party. So in 1795, which if you're paying attention, you know, is while John Jay is still in Britain, he gets elected to be the governor of New York State. And he's the second governor after George Clinton. And remember, he had run before and and lost, and he's a Federalist, and comes in and, hey, I'm the governor now. And also, I'm not even in the country at the moment, not even in the in the right area. So he ends up resigning uh, from the Supreme Court uh, in 1795 uh, after he'd been elected as the governor and serves as governor for six years until 1801. And at one point, he gets a proposal from Hamilton that, you know, hey, buddy, why don't you... Um, why don't you set up the, the the districts and everything? Why don't you do some gerrymandering and make it so that, you know, the, the right guy wins the election? And John Jay actually marked the letter proposing a measure for party purposes, which it would not become me to adopt. And he files that away and never sends it back and never responds to Hamilton. And Hamilton's like, well, I guess that's not going to happen. A little later, uh, John Adams, president at the time, says, hey, you know, he did a pretty good job on the Supreme Court. I should renominate him. And the Senate's like, yeah, 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 do that, do that, do that. And John Jay says, no, I'm not feeling great. Same reason I couldn't finish out all those Federalist papers. I'm not feeling great. And, well, the court um, the court lacks the energy, weight, and dignity, which are essential to its affording due support to the national government and rejects it. And uh, after that, John Marshall actually becomes chief justice. Yeah, think how differently things would have been if Jay would have gone back to the Supreme Court. Probably a lot different. Um, While governor, uh, Jay did run in the 1796 presidential election. He got five electoral votes, and he ran again in 1800 with one vote. Keep in mind that when you run for president in this era, you're not actively campaigning, unless you're Aaron Burr, of course. But in 1801... Jay's like, you know what? I've had enough of this. I have this dream of retiring, 
me and the missus, we've been talking years about just retiring and uh, hanging out. And uh, unfortunately, um, soon after his retirement, his wife passes away. And Jay, well, he's still in good shape. He farms and stays out of politics for the most part. Now, in 1819, he did write a letter that condemned Missouri's bid for admission to the Union as a slave state. He said that slavery ought not to be introduced nor permitted in any of the new states. So on May 14th of 1829, John Jay uh, was stricken with palsy, probably caused by a stroke or something very similar. And uh, after that, he lives for about three days and passes away in Bedford, New York on May 17th. And he wants to be buried back in Rye, uh, where Rye, New York, where he had lived when he was a, a young man. And he had actually previously uh, transferred the remains of his wife back to Rye and put up a, a private cemetery and everything. And uh, some of you may have been there, the Jay Cemetery is part of the Boston Post Road Historic District, and it's right next to the Jay Estate, and it's actually maintained by descendants of John Jay. Yeah, I don't think you can just go there and hang out. Right, you can go to the Jay Estate and, and everything like that, but not you can't go to the grave site. Yeah. Hey, you know, there's a baseball player <laughs> named John Jay, and his nickname is the Federalist, or the Founding Father, or the Chief <laughs> Justice. I did not know that. Which which I have noticed during the last two podcasts, Ben. You have been saying his full name, and it's just one that just runs off. It just rolls off the tongue. John Jay. I feel like if I say John, it's not descriptive enough. If I say Jay, it's it's like not a full name. You know, I have to say John Jay. Yeah, it works. Good branding. Yeah. Good job, John Jay's parents. <laughs> Hey, if you think we've been doing a good job, we certainly would appreciate your feedback in iTunes. You can leave us a rating and review. It only takes 89.6 seconds to do that. And you can do that by going to electioncollege.com slash iTunes. And there you will be taken to the place you need to go. Don't forget, we've got a Patreon page up for you to go over and support us if you like us. And we, we think you probably do. And we've got some stuff in return for you. Yeah, for as little as a dollar a month, you can be part of our online community at Patreon. Go to electioncollege.com slash Patreon. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N. That's right. If you want to give just 11 cents per episode, a dollar a month will do it. And if you want to bump it up a little bit, be invited to our exclusive Facebook group, get a couple extra episodes a month, etc. There's those options as well check it out. If you want to interact with us, as so many of you already do, you can do that over on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Election College. Thanks so much for joining us. We'll see you next time. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, 
which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.